Welcome to Eat, Drink, Innovate, the podcast about food startups, innovators and entrepreneurs who are making their mark in Australia's dynamic food and beverage industry. The future of food is happening here. Come join Susie White at the table to eat, drink and innovate. Aha! Hi everyone, I'm Susie White and welcome to Episode 7 of the Eat, Drink, Innovate podcast. Today I'm talking with Jackie Harvey. She's the owner of Yarra Valley Gourmet Foods. They manufacture a beautifully packaged collection of gourmet salad dressings, jams and jellies, mustards, cordials, chutneys, relishes, mayonnaise and vinegars. Made from local ingredients, these all-natural products are produced in small, high-quality batches to make simple food with extraordinary flavour. Now, on this episode, you'll hear how Jackie acquired a fledgling business and faced the big task of increasing distribution and rationalising the extensive range. But that was before she set her sights on an even bigger vision, and that is creating a food tourism business that would ensure a sustainable future and unique brand experience. So welcome to the show, Jackie. Thanks for having me, Susie. It's lovely to be here. Oh, look, it's my pleasure. I think it's always good to set the scene first, maybe by telling us a little bit about sort of what you do and what your business is about. We're a condiments manufacturer, and I suppose what I do is, well, I do everything really involved in the business, running a small business, as most people who do that know, but I probably steer the ship, so I'm sort of on the creative side, developing new products, um, but really driving the, the sales growth and the distribution and, and sort of the future of where I want to take it. But I also, you know, make coffee and make sure we have uh, coffee and cake all the time. Fantastic. I love that. What were you doing before you started Yarra Valley Gourmet Foods and, and what triggered that decision that maybe you wanted to run your own business? Uh, well, I was actually running a confectionery manufacturing business and um, it wasn't my own. I was getting paid to do that and, and very well paid for that and loved what I did, but I had the stresses that came with um, running sort of a large business. I grew it quite substantially. And then really I wanted in, if I thought, you know, long-term, if, if I was to stay here forever, uh, it would be great to get some equity and, and get into that business. And sadly, the owners didn't see it that way. <laughs> so I thought, well, if I'm going to have these stresses, I might as well have these stresses on, on my own brand. So I left that and, and thought, what will I do? I did consulting for a little bit and then thought, but I'd start from scratch. And then I went, no, I'll just buy a business. So I bought this lo- lovely baby business that was based under a winery in the Yarra Valley. And then I don't know anything about condiments, but how good's this? <laughs> So that was back in 2009. And when you say a baby business, I mean, what was the state of the business? How big was it or what was there? Oh, God, it was turning over about uh, just under $200,000 annually. It it was me and two girls in the kitchen. And really, predominantly, the sales were Yarra Valley based. We had one distributor that was meant to be selling it everywhere else and and they were in decline. So it was kind of, even though the brand was quite old back then, it's we're having 21 years this year. So, you know, I've had it for nine, they had it for um, 12, uh, but really they hadn't grown it that substantially. So, you know, I saw a great opportunity from a sales and marketing point of view to grow it. And did you buy any sort of equipment or did you have a, a, a way where you're making it? What did you have to do? 
I have a running joke that I bought Caroline. So Caroline's my production manager. She's still with me today. So she was actually the um, originating owner's daughter and worked in the business. So I didn't want to physically make the stuff in the kitchen. I wanted to expand the brand and, and distribution and sales. So pretty much I wrote her up in the sale contract. <laughs> so I love to tell her that I own her. <laughs> So um, equipment, yes, there was a little bit, you know, back then we worked three days a week. I had great life on a Friday, you know, having lunching, catching up with friends. <laughs> but that's not what I aspired for. I aspired for grander than that. So tell us then, where did you start? Mainly more distribution, like selling it into other outlets than, than where it was. So I, I suppose I came from a background of, of sales and marketing and um, whilst I knew I had a great brand, I mean, it had Yarra Valley Preserves on the jar, the Yarra Valley brand, which I just thought was so valuable. Um, so really, I I went out and about selling um, direct to store, uh, which is what you do at the start when you've got a small business. Um, I tried to increase the distributor gains and sadly, after a year and a half, that didn't work out and um, I got rid of them and my brother joined me to to do some direct-to-store selling. So we increased that way. It was really just pounding the pavement to grow the, the brands. The product range was quite vast back then still, so um, I really didn't need to increase the products. It was really about getting some some more sales so I could invest back in to do some other things. And a lot of people do go the distributor route thinking, great, I don't need my own manpower, I'll go nationwide. What, what, what happened there? Why wasn't that working for you? Uh, what happens is you lose control of where your products lie i i used to i remember i used to get emails from someone saying where can i buy rhubarb raspberry vanilla bean jam in malvern and i would email the distributor saying where can this person buy rhubarb raspberry vanilla bean jam in malvern three days later i'd get an email back going oh sorry jackie you know um, i've been away they can get it here it's like it's too late too late i need to know where it is now so that my my consumer can go straight there and find it and they want too much money, you know. We 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 make product and and we put our margins on it, and really the distributor margin just can take away so much from your bottom line. So I've grown this business by direct to store. I have a couple of interstate distributors. I really like the smallness of of what I do interstate, but I still go direct to other stores as well. So that's kind of where I've got the gains. And who is your preferred customer? Who do you pitch your products to? Um, I do love uh, tourist areas. So we do really well in Geelong, Lawn, Torquay that way. Um, but also Echuca, all sort of those places. I love remoteness. So, you know, one of the best things I did was um, have a wholesaler online platform. So anyone, anywhere, any shop anywhere could apply to be a wholesaler. And, and I really do enjoy selling to rural places because I think um, they get an opportunity too. They're not hamstrung by distributor cases or proximity of distributors. So that, that sort of works really well. And I've seen you in butchers and country clubs and nurseries and cafes and gourmet delis yes. and independent supermarkets. <laughs> it, it feels like there's a common theme there too around the kind of the more personal intimate stores. Would that be fair? Yeah, oh, definitely. And dealing direct with an owner is just, you can't, you know, I've got some fabulous customers who are owners and who just are a part of my community. And, and you know, I love that. We are in independent supermarkets. It is different because they're not the owners 
of the store, the people we deal with, and, you know, you have to have reps on the road to be able to get prominent positions and be in there often. But with with sort of the, the gourmet stores and the gifting and homeware stores, I'm dealing with the owner and, and they take responsibility for it, and I love that. And in those early days, what was what was working the best? What were kind of your best-selling products? You know what? It's about food trends, isn't it? You know, I, you can see things that have their day. And like back then, we were still, it was still jam and, and chutneys that were doing quite well. So to be honest, rhubarb, raspberry, vanilla bean jam has always been our best-selling jam and pretty much always been our best-selling product of everything we sell. So we've kind of, without really realising it, become a jam business more so than all the other things we do. And Jackie, can you explain what are all those other things you do? Because it does seem like you have quite an extensive portfolio of products. Well, it's actually funny because we're cutting back again. Primarily, we were condiments based and uh, sort of at the start, I had um, a vision. I was kind of, I like to see myself as a brand builder. So I thought, you know, if a small boutique store's just got a sea of Yarra Valley preserves, you know, maybe then I created Mad Dog, which was the chili range, and and then Larder, which was the um, infused oils and mayonnaise. And so it was kind of like adding to the whole condiments range of things. But now we're sort of going full circle and saying, you know what, uh, we need to colour bit to just be the best condiments maker we can. So in that instance then, Jackie, you're not really interested in, in just simply launching a lot of new products. So how do you make the most of your existing range to help grow your business then? Old is new again. So, you know, tomato relish was wonderful back then. Then more um, trendy things came about. But to be honest, tomato relish is back in number one chutney again, which is the very old-fashioned style. And, um, and I just think that old is new again is, is being seen as we go. And let's talk about your packaging because it is stunningly beautiful. The bottle of the salad dressings is almost like a sculpture. When did you kind of go down this route? Because this is not your normal packaging. Thank you. I just didn't like being herded into doing what everybody else does. You know, it's a sea of chutney jars and what I call the 300 mil round or 270 mil round because that's what we're forced to do, sadly, with Australia being so far away from Europe, it's hard for us to get access to really decent, interesting jars. And you have to get to sort of my level of sales before you can contract um, over a period of a year. So, for example, the salad dressing, I might get 24 pallets over a year and and that's the, a decent volume to get a manufacturing run. But if I was much smaller, you couldn't access that type of jar. It's really, it's such a shame. But I still get let down though, Susie. You know, often I would um, have um, issues with my supplier actually getting it in in the time frame that I needed in. So I can be out of sales. It's just devastating when that happens. I figure one day when I'm big enough and I've got heaps more space, I'll bring it in myself. <laughs> but I love jars. I love interesting jars, pretty jars. They are much more expensive than your standard jar, but I figure my clients, you know, my customers love that sort of thing too. And I was wondering, so are those your choices, Jackie? Are you the one going out and finding and choosing those shapes? Yes, yes, definitely. And which one was the one that got you the best product packaging winner for the fantastic food and drink show in 2017? What what, what gave you that one? Oh, <laughs> it was actually the range. We had um, it all set up on a stand and, and I think they just captured our entire range as, as the best product packaging. My first ever award, Susie, in the nine years I've had this business, I was very excited. That was the first one? 
Yeah, my first ever award. I never win um, the Pretty Stand Awards because you, at consumer shows usually it's um, a sea of uh, sampling and jam on tables and that sort of thing. But, you know, to me, Product Packaging Award is very special. That's, that, that means a hell of a lot more than just a, a nicely set up stand. And if I look at some of the more typical salad dressing bottles in store, Jackie, they're sold for around 4 or $5 versus your very designer-led sculptured glass version, which sells for around 10 to $12. Is the packaging supporting that price premium? Oh, definitely. <laughs> and it's hand. You know, we still – it's handmade, hand-bottled, um, and and definitely hand labelled. So the whole the whole product from go to woe, you know, there's no machines involved in any of that. Sort of why the expense, and I think people get that. You know, there you know there there are price conscious people out there, but I think people understand the, the importance of those things that we do. Definitely, if you've got a quality product, then the price needs to reflect that. Now, let's talk about then that scaling up because you mentioned then about it's all done by hand. You purchased the business back in two thousand and nine. You're out there hitting the pavements. You're also cooking in the kitchen with Caroline. How did you then make that step to kind of scaling up and sizing up? What was the point where you said, okay, it's worth us investing and in, in going a bit bigger? Well, I knew, always knew I could grow it from a sales perspective. So um, we outgrew under the winery pretty quickly. So we moved after three years to where we are now in Mount Evelyn, which was a much bigger space. And really it was more about uh, investing in equipment that I could afford and then more staff. The best thing we did last year was actually do a split shift. So I had girls working from 6am to 6pm and increased that and, and that tended to work too. And there's a fine line too, Susie, between, you know, scaling up to be a mass-produced product versus marketing yourself as handmade so we try, you know, we obviously need to invest in some forms of technology to take cost out of it because we don't want to price ourselves out of the market. But we try to stay true to the things, you know, have a hand in the things that we're doing. And does that mean now where you are in Mount Evelyn, are you producing and packing it all yourself? You're not using any external suppliers? No, I'm a real manufacturing advocate. I've been in manufacturing most of my life and um, I, I'm a great believer in it. So if I'm putting a Yarra Valley brand on it, it means we've had a hand in doing something with it. It's time for a quick break now. When we come back, hear how Jackie of Yarra Valley Gourmet Foods has a bigger vision for her business that goes beyond simply selling her products into other people's stores. Hi everyone, just a quick thanks to today's sponsor who helped make this podcast possible. It's the Monash Food Innovation Centre. They upskill business owners and employees in the art and science of food innovation. And this month, they'd like to invite you to their upcoming industry event. It's a symposium called Turning Food Waste into Revenue. Now, this event will feature an international panel of key thought leaders who will bring you the latest in science and research and technology to help your business turn food waste into revenue. It's on Thursday, the 19th of July, 2018, from 8 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. And it'll be held at the Monash Food Incubator Centre. That's at Monash University, Clayton, Victoria. It's time to rethink your future and find out how to reduce, reuse and recycle in a way that's good for your business and good for the planet. You can get your tickets to the Turning Food Waste into Revenue Symposium via Tri Bookings 
or at www.foodinnovationcentre.com.au by clicking the events tab. Now I'm definitely going, so I hope to see you there. Welcome back. I'm Susie White and you're listening to Episode 7 of Eat, Drink, Innovate. Today I'm talking with Jackie Harvey of Yarra Valley Gourmet Foods and she's shared her journey of building up a fledgling preservatives business by pounding the pavements, increasing distribution and rationalising the product range. I asked her though about her latest endeavour, which involves the purchase of a 20-acre property called Pine Ridge in Seville, Victoria. And I asked her what her plans were. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, that was probably about, oh, it was a good six or seven years ago. So very early on in the days, I, I had a meeting with Tourism Victoria and the Yarra Ranger Shire, and they were talking about tourism and saying, um, you know, back in the day, people came up and did six wineries and that was it. But now they want to come up and do two wineries. They want some food experiences and they want an adventure. And I came away from that meeting thinking, well, here's me with a brand called Yarra Valley Preserves that I don't really have a backstory to. So I don't grow things to go into those products. I'm like strawberry farmers up here. So I thought, well, I've got the perfect brand to create a food tourism business. So then I went about purchasing the property and um, planning department and everything else. The idea is, yes, a factory on the farm uh, where we will grow our produce, so create our own sustainable future. We can have a retail store at the front and we want to do some food tourism, so come and pick a tomato, make a tomato relish type of thing. Yes, so it's very big and bold and expensive. (laughs) (laughs) And where are you at with that? How long has it taken you and where do you think you're going to get to launch? Well, it took four years, four months, four days to actually uh, dig a hole in the ground and get started. So it was a very stressful four years sort of sorting out um, council and finances and all the consultants in the world. We started August last year. We are about six weeks away from moving in. So we hit lock up yesterday, which was fantastic. And then now they're working their bums off to, to get it all finished so we can move in at the end of June. But in saying that, that will just be to keep manufacturing and, and then we've, we'll spend a few months printing up the property and open to the public in October. For you, is that sort of the, the culmination of your vision? Was that always the end dream point? Oh, well, as I said, after that meeting it was. So it's been a long, drawn-out way to get here. And, you know, if I had a hindsight thing, you know, what, what would I do? Because I, originally it was, you know, build it up, sell it off and move on to the next big thing. But I just, you know, fell in love with being up here and um, to create a food tourism is thrilling. I really can't wait. Don't know anything about it yet, Susie, but, but I'll get there. Sounds amazing. Now let's talk about your team. So how many employees, what size of business are you now with the number of employees? We've got 12 at the moment. So majority in the kitchen. I've got five to six that are um, in the kitchen. We started off as, as part-time mums. So um, we were able to grow the business with and give people time to be with their families. Um, but now they've all grown up. So I've got my original Caroline and a few other girls. I've got a, a Victorian sales manager, a New South Wales sales rep, 
couple of warehouse guys, a sales administrator, and, and I've just hired a food technologist, which I'm very excited about to help us develop new stuff. Does that mean that frees you up from the kitchen a little bit? Oh, yeah. I'm, no, I haven't been in the kitchen for a while now, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I did see you had some media um, a little while ago about your involvement with the Yarra Rangers SDS, a special development school, and, and getting students with disabilities, giving them some work experience. Are you still doing that? Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look at that. I actually met the principal of um, yeah, Rangers SDS many years ago at a market and we were talking and they were actively looking for some businesses and I thought, oh, my God, that would be awesome. And so we started off with um, kids. We have different kids every term now, so it's been going on for probably about four years. So they come in on a Thursday, they arrive at 10, they sign in. So it's to give them a real work experience. So they sign in like my staff do. Then they go and make up cartons and, and the partitions, sort of that hand-eye coordination and then they'll come in and have morning tea then they go back out again they label so they usually label the easy things which are the mustards and the jellies so they date stamp label um, pack them back in boxes then they come back in for lunch and then they leave they're beautiful so I've got four boys this year they just make us so happy. They make our staff smile. We enjoy having them. Last year was fantastic. My favourite, Jess, who made us play ABBA every time he was here. So we had them ABBA CD ready to go. So just they just give great joy. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Awesome initiative. Now, you also mentioned, and I'd love to dig on this, have any of the bigger companies approached you and said, yeah, we, we'd like to buy you? <laughs> No, not yet. No, we're a bit, little bit off the radar for that, I think, right now. And to be honest, I've just, I actually did have a private equity re- recently, but I, no, no, I need to finish what I've started. So I'm, I'm not even thinking about that yet until we get, um, it running off the ground from tourism aspect as well and create a really successful, um, farm gate, I suppose. Yeah. So that, that's, yeah, not finished yet, Susie. Bit of, bit of a way to go. <laughs> Oh, it's always interesting to see if you've been tempted along the way or not. No, no, not yet. <laughs> now, tell me a little bit about how you go about with your sales and your promotions. What for you kind of works in helping people know a bit more about your products and your brands? What are you doing? We're actually not terribly good about in, in this in terms from a marketing point of view. We've got a lot of work to do to sort of grow social media. Um, I'm doing it at the moment and I'm just, I'm so random with it. It's not funny. So we need to do a lot more around that. And even, you know, providing a lot of businesses with point of sale. We haven't done that well in the past. I think, you know, we've, we've naturally grown and we've grown every year since the start is just been quite a bit of word of mouth and meeting people at trade shows. And, and it, I, I had one customer said to me once, and I really like this. She said, you're everywhere, Jackie, without really people seeing that you're everywhere, which says to me that, you know, there's a lot more opportunity out there and we're not at saturation, but we're a long way to go. And, and especially once we open, I'm planning some sort of big packaging changes as well when we open the new business. So um, I think we'll yell it loud and proud then. We want to create a Yarra Valley experience whenever anybody buys our products. So got a lot, long way to go. Now, I, I'm always conscious this feels a bit like I'm asking people to choose a favourite child, but do you have a favourite product in your range? Have you got one that, you know, for you is kind of the most meaningful? I probably use... Um, genuinely use three products. <laughs> so I love my rosemary jelly on my roast lamb 
and I love my horseradish mustard on my steak and I flip between rhubarb and mango jam. So they're the products I use the most. Oh, they sound delicious as well. And thinking back, what do you think's helped you the most to kind of succeed and get to where you are today? I was actually lucky enough to be able to run Finer Foods. So give, I, I had started there as National Sales and Marketing Manager and then ended up being the Managing Director. But I think um, that gave me a full scope of business and probably the confidence to do it on my own. See, I think when you're in food and when you've been selling food before, you kind of can take any type of food into those same markets. So if you've got that knowledge anyway, that's always a big plus. Now, another quick question around thinking about the future of the business. Obviously, you've got your big launch coming up. You know, you've got Pine Ridge opening and focusing on that. Are there plans to kind of go bigger and broader? Are you are you even considering things like export? Oh, I'm exporting now. I've just, as of this week, gone global. I just sent off on Monday a pallet to Selfridges in the UK. So I'm very excited about that. And um, we've just got a pallet of muesli going to China tomorrow. So that's, we're officially global. Selfridges, what a beautiful distribution point. Tell me how that came about. Well, that was actually really on them, actually, not me. I got a random email in January saying we're doing this Australia promotion in June and July. You know, can we access your products? And I think they expected I was already in that market and had a way in. And it kind of went a bit cold because I didn't actually know how to get it in there and I didn't know what they wanted and I didn't know how to cost it. And then I happened to go in April. I actually flew over to the Food and Drink Expo in the UK and decided to follow up with them whilst I was there. So I dropped in samples and did a submission and they accepted it. So it was fantastic. Very lucky. And I I think if I hadn't have gone, I wouldn't have um, actually had got it in. So that was really beneficial. And what products are they taking? Uh, They're taking uh, jams, jellies, mustards and salad dressings. So that's really the core, you know, the the Yarravelli Preserves core products. Yeah, so it's very exciting. Congratulations. Fantastic. And how important are those expos? What do they give you? Oh, they're definitely the way to to grow your your brand. Uh, More so here in our country than, you know, jumping on a plane and going over there. Condiments into the UK is actually pretty hard. The duties are quite high. but the dollar helps it, you know, the dollar exchange helps it. But um, more so in our own country, the, the trade shows is where you get to meet stores. And, and if you want to sell direct stores, very important. Yeah, grown a lot that way. That sounds like a little hit, one of those secrets of success you kind of, you got to know about once you're in the industry. <laughs> And with my products, as you said before, being beautiful, we, we actually did the gift fairs. So that, that really um, has helped us as well launch into other markets other than just food stores. So, and they just get it in, get it out sort of over that October to December period. And, and, you know, we do it all again the next year. So it's, that's been great for business. And looking back, is it what you thought it would be when you very first bought the business? No, as I said, I I expected to grow it, sell it off and move on to the next thing. I think I thought I'd do things a lot quicker. I would, you know, grow the turnover quicker, build the tourism business quicker. It seems to be taking a long time, although other people probably looking in say, no, you've actually done that in a reasonable amount of time, whereas I don't have a lot of patience. (laughs) I really like, I I, I always say I do slow fast. I'm just thinking for anyone else listening, you know, who are thinking, hey, I, I, that sounds great. I want to do that life choice. I want to, I want to go buy a food business and run it. What advice would you have for other sort of want to be food entrepreneurs? Oh, um, 
have a clear plan. <laughs> there, you know, you can't, I know people, you know, that, that's thrown bandied around a lot about a business plan, but it is, it is very important to have a clear plan about how you're going to sell things and how you're going to make it and how you're going to fund it. You know, having, having cash at the start is very important, but also surround yourself with positive people, encouraging people, people that, you know, love what you do and encourage you to keep going and that sort of thing. Moving regional for me, I missed my networks. I had great networks sort of more in the corporate um, arena with confectionery, but get involved, you know, get back into networking and, um, and I, you know, I attend anything just to learn, you know, especially when it's like social media things or, you know, just, just to learn, you've got to keep on top of all that. But, uh, you know, you've got to stay, pa- if it's about, you've got a passion to do it, then, you know, you'll, you'll be okay, I reckon. Very good advice. <laughs> now, if people would like to find out more about you or about the products and where they can find them and buy them, because I know you also do have an online store, where would they go, Jackie? Yeah, definitely the website. So www.yarravalleygourmetfoods or yvgf.com.au. So that's got, um, we sell online. We've got our list of stockists online. Uh, we've got our stories and our blogs on there. As I said, we are on both um, Instagram and Facebook, but I'm, I'm pretty random at it, but you can go scroll back through the history and see. And you can subscribe to our newsletter. We've got a monthly newsletter on the website, so you can subscribe to that and then you'll be updated. Well, I am personally going to be stalking you on the internet still, seeing how Pine Ridge comes. I'll probably be there when the doors open the first time. I will send you an invite, Susie. <laughs> I would love to come. And um, look, thanks so much for the chat today. It's been really inspiring. Love to hear about the journey you've been on. Look, I wish you every success in the future. Thank you so much and thanks for having me. Aftertaste, the sweet taste of success. <sighs> thanks for sticking around. This is the part of the podcast when I think back on my chat with Jackie Harvey of Yarra Valley Gourmet Foods and reflect on a lesson that we could learn from her business story. And the thing that really stood out for me today is Jackie's change of heart regarding her business acquisition. Now, as a seasoned general manager, she fully anticipated that she would buy Yarra Valley Gourmet Foods, grow it, sell it and move on to other things. However, along the way, she fell in love with the handcrafted brand she was building, the regional location and the lifestyle, so much so that she herself says, I need to finish what I started. And she simply can't contemplate selling the business now. And that journey is far from over. This year, she's on the verge of launching her biggest endeavor yet. That is the opening of Pine Ridge and repositioning Yarra Valley Gourmet Foods as a food tourism business. With this in mind, I'd like to talk to you today about the concept of making a moonshot. Now, this expression comes from a mindset that was born from Google X. That's the division of Google that takes on long-term, riskier projects like creating a self-driving car. Now, making a moonshot refers to when a business or an individual ventures beyond the everyday and they attempt something that is difficult to achieve. It's like when US President John F. Kennedy declared a national goal of landing a person on the moon and returning them safely to Earth in 1961. Thus, the term moonshot was born. Now, in the tech world, making a moonshot tends to be a radical solution to a huge problem, usually made possible with breakthrough technology. But in the world of food and beverages, making a moonshot can mean 
just going beyond incremental thinking and taking action that makes an order of magnitude difference. It could be flipping to a new business model, significantly shifting consumer behavior, or reigniting a category. In the case of Jackie Harvey, her moonshot is to reposition Yarra Valley Gourmet Foods beyond a simple preservatives brand and into a food tourism business that will ensure a sustainable future and unique brand experience. Jackie's vision is that people will be able to see the fresh produce growing, pick it, and create a product themselves. They'll be able to buy direct from the maker and see the origins and creations of the Yarra Valley handcrafted products. Now, this moonshot taps into a huge consumer trend, and that's our desire to build a personal connection with the foods and the brands we buy. We want to see how they're made, what they contain, and who we're supporting when we buy them. And Jackie's plans will allow us to do that by letting us peek behind those usually closed manufacturing doors. And just like it took eight years until the US Apollo 11 mission successfully landed a person on the moon, so too will it take Jackie over seven years to achieve the launch of her own moonshot. However, it will be a journey worth the wait. As Jackie said, we want to create a Yarra Valley experience whenever anyone buys our products. And I think this bold plan of hers will do just that. So how do you go about making your own moonshot for your business? Well, let's start by remembering what drives the long-term success of your food or beverage business. And that is satisfying people with your products. Now, with that in mind, to make your own moonshot, you simply need to ask yourself three questions. The first is, what do I want my consumer to become as a result of experiencing my product? For example, do you want them to be happier, healthier, more connected to your brand? For Jackie, it was about making a personal connection with consumers so that they could experience and witness the love and the care that goes into the making of a small batch handcrafted preservative products. The second question to ask yourself is, what do I want for my consumer that is bigger than their current experience of my product? Well, Jackie wants to bring to life her brand so that it's more than just another product on a very crowded shelf. She wants to make a destination of learning and inspiration and connection so that people can experience the Yarra Valley gourmet food range literally from her farm to their fork. And the final question to ask yourself to make your own moonshot is, what change do I need to make this happen for them? Now, for Jackie, it was seven years of planning, building, and investing. And like all real moonshots, it's been harder and longer and more challenging than she initially planned. However, at the end of it all, she will have created a food tourism business that offers a truly unique brand experience that will redefine her business for years to come. Well, that's it for this episode. Many thanks to my guest today, Jackie Harvey of Yarra Valley Gourmet Foods, for sharing her inspiring story with us. And thank you too for listening. Please join me next time to eat, drink and innovate. Do you have any suggestions about successful food or beverage entrepreneurs and innovators in Australia that you think Susie should be talking to? You can get in touch with her at eatdrinkinnovate.com.au forward slash podcast. 
and find all the show note links and innovation resources there too. And if you like this podcast, please help others discover it by leaving a review on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 